0: Moving finger writes, and having writ moves on. Nor all your piety nor wit can lure it back to cancel half a line. Nor all thy tears wash out a word of it.
1: We present June Whitfield as Miss Marple in Agatha Christie's The Moving Finger.
0: Five, four, three. Jane, is that you, Jane? Yes, Maud. Who else did you think it might be? Jane, I don't care what you're doing or what your plans are. You've got to get down here at once. We need someone who knows a great deal about wickedness. Oh. You're the only person who can put a stop to it. Many people are inclined to find Maud Dane Calthrop rather disconcerting at first, even to feel a little afraid of her. Not in the least like a vicar's wife is the usual verdict. "'I never thought that this was a wicked place, Jane. "'But what is happening here is evil, pure evil. "'Please say you'll come straight away.' "'Limstock was hardly the kind of place "'where one would expect to come face to face with iniquity. "'It is a sleepy little market town on the edge of the moors "'that has never really recovered from Henry VIII pulling down the priory in 1539.' It has a charming high street, a large and pretentious ironmongers, a firm of solicitors, Messrs Galbraith, Galbraith and Symington, and a beautiful and unexpectedly large church, of which Maud's husband is the vicar. Of course Caleb hasn't the faintest notion of what is going on. What is going on, Maud? What exactly has happened? Letters. Anonymous letters. Almost everyone in Limstock has had one. You mean poison pen letters? Very nasty, quite disgusting, and making all kinds of allegations about people's sex lives. And have you received one of them yourself? Oh, yes. Three, in fact. Mm. I forget exactly what they said. Something very silly about Caleb and the schoolmistress, I think. Quite absurd, because Caleb has absolutely no taste for fornication, never has had. So fortunate being a clergyman. Quite so. At the time, I dismissed the letters as a rather unpleasant joke. I think most people did. But Mrs. Simmington evidently did not. Mrs. Symington? The wife of the local solicitor. She took her own life two days ago. That's why I telephoned you. And had she received one of these letters? Yes, she had. Do you know what it said? It alleged that her second boy, Colin, was not her husband's child. And you say she killed herself... There's no doubt about that, I suppose. None at all. She took cyanide, I believe. And was there any reason to suggest... ...that there was any truth in the accusation? Yes. I've no idea. Symington was her second husband. She'd been married to a Captain Hunter. A bit of a blighter, by all accounts. She divorced him a couple of years after the marriage. Did she have any children by this Captain Hunter? Yes. A girl named Megan. She's twenty but looks and behaves like an overgrown schoolgirl. I like her, but a few of the people round here treat her as if she were a half-wit. What kind of woman was this Mrs Symington? She always seemed to me to be a selfish, rather stupid woman with a good, firm hold on life. Not the kind to panic, you would think. But I'm beginning to realise now how little I really know anyone. Did she leave a letter? Or anything of the sort. She had written, I can't go on, on a scrap of paper, nothing more. Do you have any idea at all whom the writer of these letters might be? A woman. Everyone's agreed on that. And yes, since you ask, there is one person whom I do suspect. Oh? But I'm not going to tell you, Jane, because I might very well be mistaken. (laughs) That's why I asked you to come. You have such a way of getting people to talk, of sniffing out the truth you have a nose for evil sir henry clithering always says so <laughs> i'm touched by your faith in me maud but really i'm quite at a loss where to begin i think you should go and have a talk with jerry burton oh he's only lived in limstock for a short time he's an aeroplane pilot and was quite badly injured in a flying accident he came down here to rest and recover and to get the use of his legs again oh so brave these young men you see, Jane, because he's an outsider and has no preconceived ideas about the people here, and because everyone's rather sorry for him and thinks he's a bit of a hero, they talk to him without worrying too much what it is they're saying. A spy within the gates, so to speak. He's living at Little Fur's Little Furs. It belongs to old Emily Barton, but she's moved into rooms kept by her old parlourmaid. His sister has come down to look after him, Joanna. A very sensible girl, and would be rather attractive if she didn't plaster her face with so much make-up. Have Mr Burton or his sister received any of these letters?
2: Oh, yes, we've had one all right. It came about a week after we'd moved in. It said in the coarsest possible terms that Joanna and I weren't brother and sister. It
3: really was an awful lot of filth. I'd heard about anonymous letters, of course, but I'd never seen one before. I suppose it must be something to do with my clothes and my lipstick... Somebody obviously thought I was an abandoned female.
0: (laughs) I think it's far more likely, my dear, to do with the fact that you are fair and blue-eyed and rather petite while your brother is tall and dark. What did the letter look like? Was it written by
2: hand? Oh, no. It consisted of printed words and letters cut out and gummed on a piece of paper. And
3: the Ah. envelope was typed. It all came as a bit of a shock to us. You see, I thought they liked us down here. And it's such a nice place, sweet and funny and old world. And what did you do with the letter? Jerry threw it on the fire.
2: I certainly didn't want Partridge taking a look at it.
3: Partridge? She's the woman who looks after us. She used to be one of Miss Barton's maids. She's a bit of a tartar.
2: I should have kept it, of course, but I didn't realise that other people had received them until
4: the doctor... Owen Griffith. ...called in to give me my weekly overhaul. Do you mean that you've had one of them? There have been others. Oh, yes. They've been going on for some time now. I thought it
2: was just us, that people didn't like strangers moving in here.
4: Oh, no, it's got nothing to do with that. Uh, What did the letter say? Uh, I'm sorry, I I shouldn't have asked. No, no,
2: I'll tell you with pleasure. It just said that the fancy tart I'd brought down with me wasn't my sister. (laughs) And that's the paddlerised version.
4: Your sister wasn't too upset, I hope? Oh,
2: not in the least. Joanna may look like the angel on top of the Christmas tree, but she's really quite tough. (laughs) Just
4: how long has all this been going on? It's hard to say, because people who get these letters don't go around advertising the fact. They put them on the fire. Yes, that's just what I did. Hmm. I've had one, and so has Symington, the solicitor. And one or two of my patients have told me about them. Same sort of thing? Oh, yes. They're all about sex. Symington was accused of having an illicit affair with his Lady clerk. <laughs> She's got parsley and teeth like a rabbit. <laughs> he took it straight to the police. And what about you? Oh, I showed mine to the police as well. It accused me of violating professional decorum with my lady patients and went into a lot of nasty details. (laughs) The letters are all quite absurd, but they're horribly venomous. These things can be dangerous, you know.
2: Yes, I suppose they can.
4: You see, Mr Burton, there's always the chance that sooner or later one of these letters might hit the mark. And then God knows what'll happen.
0: I may be being very foolish but it does not seem to me that these letters have any specific intention. It sounds more as if whoever it is is working off some kind of spite. There was a case of something rather similar last year. In Norwich, I believe it was, and it turned out to be the head of the millinery department in a big draper's establishment. A quiet, very refined woman... We'd been there for years. The trouble was that in our case, it didn't
3: just end with that letter.
2: A week later, Partridge came up to us in the garden looking particularly grim and told us that Beatrice, the daily help, would not be coming again. I gathered
5: the girl has been upset in her feelings.
2: What on earth do you mean by that?
5: On account of a letter she has received making insinuations about goings on in this house. What utter nonsense. Oh, my very words, Mr. The girl's mother. Goings-on in this house, I said, to ever never have been and never will be while I am in charge. As to Beatrice, I said, girls are different nowadays, and as to goings-on elsewhere, I can say nothing. Goings-on elsewhere? The truth is, Miss, that Beatrice's friend from the garage, as she walked out with, he got one of them nasty letters, too, and he isn't acting reasonable at all. I've never heard anything so preposterous in my life. Ah. It's my opinion, sir, that we're well rid of the girl. What I say is, she wouldn't take on so if there wasn't something she didn't want found out. No smoke without fire, that's what I say.
2: I cannot tell you, Miss Marple, how sick I have become of that phrase, no smoke without fire.
0: Was it something like that which drove that unfortunate woman... Mrs Simmington? Yes, to take her own life.
3: I suppose so. Though I'd have thought she was the most unlikely woman to have a guilty secret. She was such a faded, anxious creature who talked all the time about difficulties with the servants and went on and on about her health. One feels
0: for the poor husband, of course, and her young boys. Mm. And there is another child, is there not, from her first marriage? Megan, yes. Though she's hardly a child
3: anymore. I always had the impression that Mrs Symington didn't care for her very much, as if Meg had never really fitted into her second marriage and was rather an embarrassment to have about the house. when I
2: saw her first, I thought she was a schoolgirl, and
3: she goes round in such dreadful, drab old clothes. I think she's a changeling left on the doorstep by the fairies. Of course, she fairly worships Jerry. She was one of the first people in Dimstock to take the trouble to get to know him.
6: Are you walking into town? Huh.
2: Yes, I am as a matter of fact.
6: Do you mind if I join you?
2: Glad to have your company.
6: You manage very well on those sticks.
2: Oh, I do my best. Uh, Did you uh, you know you've torn your stocking?
6: It's got two holes already, so it doesn't matter very much, does it?
2: Don't you ever mend your stockings?
6: Only when Mummy catches me. She doesn't notice awfully what I do.
2: What an odd thing to say. You don't seem to realise you've grown up
6: you mean I ought to be more like your sister all dolled up
2: well, if you want to put it like that
6: she isn't a bit like you is she
2: brothers and sisters aren't always alike.
6: no I'm not at all like Brian or Colin but we had different fathers you fly don't you
2: yes at least I did
6: is that how you got hurt
2: yes I, well, I crashed mm
6: would you get all right and be able to fly again or will you always be a bit of a croc Mm.
2: my doctor says I shall be okay
6: I'm glad about that would you like to sit down for a bit
2: I would actually
6: well there's a bench over here by the War Memorial
2: What do you do with yourself down here?
6: What is there to do?
2: Well, there must be lots of things. Tennis? Golf?
6: Oh, I'm no good at tennis and I can't abide golf. And there aren't many girls around here.
2: But you must have known girls when you were at school. Or didn't you go to school in Limstock?
6: Yes, I did. But I didn't care for them very much. I didn't care much for the school either.
2: What was wrong with it?
6: Well, it was all bits and pieces. Chopping and changing from one thing to another. It was a rotten school and the teachers weren't very interested. They could never answer questions properly.
2: Very few teachers can.
6: <laughs> I was pretty stupid, I suppose. I was all right on the factual things. Maths and geography. But I couldn't stand the way they used to blather on about poetry. Shelley twittering on about skylarks. Oh, and Shakespeare.
2: What's wrong with Shakespeare?
6: For well, twisting himself up to say things in such a difficult way so that you can't get at what he means. Well, our teachers certainly couldn't. Though... There were some things I did like.
2: I'm sure the Bard would be grateful to know that.
6: Goneril and Regan, for instance.
2: Um, what is there to like about Goneril and Regan?
6: They're satisfactory somehow.
2: Satisfactory?
6: How do you think they got like that? Like what? Like they were. I mean, something must have done it. I suppose it was because that awful old father of theirs insisted on such a lot of sucking up.
0: What a very perceptive remark. And how does the girl get on with her stepfather?
3: I don't think he pays her any attention at all. He seems hardly aware of her existence.
7: Megan? Oh, we're thinking of finding something for her to do. Um, Dressmaking, perhaps. Or she might try her hand at shorthand and typing. But of course she is very young still and backward for her age. Or so they tell me.
0: It hardly sounds very satisfactory. And then there are the two young boys. One cannot help wondering what is going to happen to them. Oh, I wouldn't be too worried. They've got a very capable nursery governess. A real good looker.
3: <laughs> Jerry was quite smitten with her at first. Joanna? Like Helen of Troy, you said she was. Until
2: she opened her mouth.
3: Don't mention it. No trouble at all. <laughs> it's funny, isn't it? Looks like Aphrodite, but simply no S.A. at all. S.A.?
0: Sex appeal. Oh, Oh, but I do so understand. Uh, But we are rather drifting away from the subject of the letters. I... I don't wish to appear inquisitive, of course... Can you tell me who else in Limstock has received them?
2: It's hard to say, because most people won't admit to them.
3: Well, I know for a fact that the butcher's wife had one, and that pretty barmaid at the Rose And, Crown.
2: and I'm pretty certain that Amy Griffith has had one. And who is Amy Griffith? She's the doctor's sister. Absolutely
3: ah. disgustingly hearty. <laughs> I shouldn't be surprised if she took a cold bath every morning. <laughs> She's
2: always on at Megan to join the girl guides. She doesn't approve of her at all.
8: The girl's just bone idle. Spends all her time mooning about. I don't believe in laziness, and certainly not in young people. It's not as though Megan were even pretty to look at. Sometimes I think she must be half-witted. The father, you know, was definitely a un I'm afraid the child takes after him.
0: And now I must be going. I've taken up far too much of your time as it is, and I don't like to feel that I'm intruding. You'll drop in as often as you like, Miss Marple. Uh, tell me... Does this Amy Griffith, who seems to have such very decided opinions, have any idea who's writing these letters? If she does, she's keeping it to herself. Hmm. Does anyone have any idea? According to
2: Partridge, everyone in Limstock is convinced that it's Mrs Cleat. Mrs Cleat? And who is she? She's the wife of an elderly jobbing gardener who lives in a cottage down by the mill. I've tried to find out why she should have been singled out, but the only answer I ever get is... Twould be like her.
0: "'Mrs Cleet, she's the local witch, "'and naturally she is blamed for anything out of the ordinary. "'She comes from a family of what used to be called wise women. "'I'm afraid she's gone to some pains to cultivate the legend.' She has rather a sardonic sense of humour. Just like Jenny Saundersfoot, if a child was sickening for mumps, she'd put on a knowing expression and say, oh, yes, I saw him pulling my cat's tail the other day. Her neighbours took to giving her pots of honey and marmalade just to keep on the safe side of her. Whoever it is that has been writing these letters, it certainly isn't Mrs Cleet. (laughs) She's far too shrewd to do anything like that. It's all wrong somehow, Jane. We're not like that in Limstock. There's envy, of course, and some malice, I suppose. But it's the sheer ferocity of the venom in these letters that frightens me. You didn't believe that real evil could exist in Limstock? No, Jane, I did not. That's why you've got to find out who's behind all this before someone else gets hurt. I'm beginning to get
3: worried about Megan, Jerry. We haven't heard a word from her since her mother's death. I was wondering if we should ask her to come and stay with us for a day or two.
2: Yes. She must feel terribly isolated in that place.
3: Well, the boys will be all right. They've got Elsie Holland to look after them. But I imagine she's just the kind of creature that would drive Megan mad. Mm. Why don't we go over there right away?
4: I think it's an excellent idea. The sooner Megan's out of the house, the better. She needs to get away from the atmosphere of this place. You're lucky you caught me. I just called in to see poor Symington. He's in a pitiful state totally shattered by it all.
2: I suppose there's no question that it was suicide. Couldn't have been an accident?
4: Not a chance, I'm afraid. She left a scrap of paper saying, I can't go on, and the anonymous letter was screwed up into a ball and thrown into the fireplace.
3: And do you think there was any truth in the accusation?
4: About Symington not being the younger boy's father? Hmm. It's true he doesn't much resemble his parents, but... That doesn't mean anything. It might have been enough for the poison pen, writer.
3: Well, it certainly hit the bullseye. Mm. After all, she wouldn't have killed herself otherwise, would she? I'm not quite sure.
4: She's been ailing in health for some time. Neurotic, hysterical. It's possible, I think, that the shock of receiving such a letter may have induced a state of panic, and she decided to take her own life. She may have worked herself up to feel that her husband might not believe her, and the general shame and disgust might have acted on her so powerfully as to temporarily unbalance her judgment.
3: Suicide while of unsound mind? Mm.
4: It appears very much like it. But look, if you're going to get the girl away from the house, I wouldn't waste any time over it, and I wouldn't trouble Symington about it. He's in no condition to make any kind of decision. Why don't you have a word with Elsie Holland? Of course... Poor Mrs
6: Symington had been nervy and weepy for some time. And she was snappy and irritable, too. Some days, you wouldn't know how to take her. What we really came for was to ask whether we could have Megan for a few days, if she'd like to come, that is. Megan? Oh, I don't know, I'm sure. I mean, it's ever so kind of you, but she's such a queer girl. One never knows what she's going to say or feel about things. I have to admit, it would be one problem the less for me. I mean, there's the boys... And poor Mister Symington. he needs looking after as much as anyone. Mm. Why don't you ask her? She's in the old nursery. Too many stairs for you, Jerry. I'll go. Uh,
2: no, I, I think I'd better do this. Don't worry, I'll manage.
6: Who is it? What do you want?
2: Megan, it's me, Jerry Burton. <laughs> Joanna and I have uh, come to see if you'd like to stay with us for a few days.
6: Stay with you? In your house? Yes. You mean you'll take me away from here? Yes, Megan. Oh, do take me away, please. It's so awful being here alone and feeling so wicked.
2: Wicked? What on earth are you talking about?
6: I'm an awful coward. I didn't know what a coward I was.
2: I'm sure you're nothing of the sort. Now, these things are a bit chattering.
6: Come along. Can we go at once? Straight away?
2: Well, you'll have to put a few things together. hmm? We can provide you with a bed and a bath and the rest of it, but well, I'm damned if I'll lend you my toothbrush.
6: Of course. I'm a bit stupid today. You won't go away, will you? You'll wait for me. Is she coming?
2: She's just packing a few things.
6: Oh, I'm so glad. It will take her out of herself. It will be a great relief to me to know that I haven't got her on my mind as well as everything else. Oh, I'd better go and answer that. Mr. Symington's in no state to talk to anyone.
3: Not only Helen of Troy, but a ministering angel as well. Uh, why
2: do you have to be so nasty? The poor girl's only doing her job. And
3: she's making sure that everyone knows it. How was Megan?
2: Cowering in the corner of a darkened room like a terrified
3: animal. Oh, poor kid. She'll be all right once we've got her back to little furs.
6: <laughs> I'm sorry to be like this. It seems so idiotic.
3: Don't worry about it. Here, have another handkerchief. Thanks.
6: I think it's just the relief of being away from it all as much as anything else.
2: Here, try this. What is it? A cocktail.
6: Is it Really? Do you mean to say
3: you've reached the great age of 20 and never had a cocktail? Never.
2: (laughs) Well, everything has to have a beginning. Taste it.
6: It's lovely. (laughs) Marvellous.
2: You're not supposed to knock it back in one gulp.
6: Oh, I'm sorry. May I have another? Not yet. Why not?
2: Just wait a few minutes and see how you feel.
6: I really am awfully sorry for making such an ass of myself, howling away like that. It seems awfully ungrateful when I'm really so glad to be here. I hope I'm not being a nuisance. Don't apologise.
3: Jerry and I have lived alone together so much, we've used up all our conversation. Oh, I'm <laughs> sure you can't really mean that.
6: But at least we shall be able to have another chat about Shakespeare. Or you can count me out. About Goneril and Regan. About Cordelia, mostly. I mean, when you've always got to be saying thank you and how kind and all the rest of it, you'd long to be beastly for a change. And when you got the chance, it would probably go to your head and you'd go too far. Old Lear really was pretty dreadful, though, and he deserved the ticking off he got from Cordelia.
2: I've never seen it in that light before, but you're quite right. How's the cocktail? Any ill effects?
6: Well, I'm not starting to feel woozy or anything. I just want to talk rather a lot. Do you think I could have another now?
0: The inquest was held three days later in what had once been the old courthouse. There was a very large attendance. The time of Mrs Symington's death was put at between three and four in the afternoon. She was alone in the house. Mr Symington was at his office. The maids were having their day out. Elsie Holland and the boys had gone for their usual afternoon walk. And Megan was riding her bicycle on the moors. The letter must have come by the afternoon post.
7: As far as I can tell, and of course this is only conjecture, my wife must have picked up the letter and read it and then gone out into the potting shed, fetched some of the cyanide, kept in there for taking wasps, mixed it in water,
0: and drank it. The coroner went on at some length on the subject of the anonymous letters. Whoever had written that wicked and lying letter, he said, was morally guilty of murder. Under his direction, the jury brought in the inevitable verdict, suicide, while the balance of her mind was disturbed.
8: It's Dick Symington, I'm really sorry for. It was perfectly frightful for him for it all to come out like that at the inquest. But you heard what he said to the coroner, Miss Griffith, that there wasn't a word of truth in that letter. Of course he said so. A man's got to stick up for his wife. At least Dick would do so. You see, Mr Burton, I've known him for quite a while. He used to spend a good deal of time up north in our part of the world before Owen and I came to Limstock. Dick's proud, very reserved, But he's the kind of man who could be very jealous.
2: I suppose that might explain why Mrs Symington was afraid to tell him about the letter.
8: Good Lord! Do you think any woman would go and swallow a lot of cyanide on account of an accusation that wasn't true?
2: The coroner seemed to think it was perfectly possible. So did your brother.
8: Men are all alike. Anything to preserve the decencies. If an innocent woman gets some filthy anonymous letter, she just laughs and chucks it away. That's what I would do.
2: You mean you've had one too?
8: Well... Yes, I have, as a matter of fact. But I didn't let it worry me. I threw it in the waste paper basket. You didn't think of taking it to the police. No, I didn't. At least said soonest mended, I thought. But I didn't come all the way up here to talk about this. I wanted to know if you'd like me to take Megan off your hands. It must be rather a nuisance for you having her cluttering up the place all the time. I dare say I could find something useful for her to do. Well, it's very kind of you, but we
2: like having her here. She potters about quite happily.
8: Oh. I dare say. Much too fond of pottering that child. She's too old to be spending her time doing nothing.
2: It's been rather difficult for her to do anything else. Mrs Symington always seemed to be under the impression that Megan
8: was about 12 years old. You're quite right. I had no patience with that silly attitude of hers. I shouldn't be saying this. But that woman was the perfect example of what I call the unintelligent domestic type. Bridge and gossip and her two boys. The wretched Megan simply did not fit in. What kind of person was
2: Megan's father? No one seems to want to talk about him. What did the man do? Is he still alive?
8: I really don't know. From what I've heard, he was a thoroughly bad lot. He ended up in prison, I believe. Still, if I can't help you with Megan, I'll be off. But don't you think you'd better have a word with her stepfather? She may be needed at home.
2: Megan? I just wanted to know if it'd be all right for her to carry on staying with us for a few days. Yes, yes, of course. It's company for my sister, you see. She finds it rather lonely here.
7: Megan can stay for as long as you can put up with her, Mr Burton. What are you planning to do about her? Do about Megan? I hadn't really given it much thought. It's too early to say... She'll go on living with us, I suppose. Uh, I mean, naturally,
2: it is her home. I swear he'd completely forgotten she existed. I wouldn't mind so much if he actively resented the girl. After all, some men do sometimes feel jealous about a child by a first husband. But he doesn't even dislike her. What you got there?
3: It was in the letterbox. Dropped him by hand. You painted trollop it begins, and oh. it gets a lot worse after that.
2: And everyone was hoping that Mrs. Symington's death would put an end to it all.
3: Evidently not.
9: No, no, don't scrunch it up. We must show it to the police. I'll ask them to call in. Does this have the same appearance as the last one, Mr. Burton? As far as I can remember, yes. The same difference between the envelope
2: and the text? Yes, just the same.
9: "'I wonder if you'd mind if I run you back to the police station, Mr Burton. "'I've arranged a meeting there with Mr Symington and Dr Griffith. "'If we could have your views, it would save a good deal of time and uh, overlapping.' "'I'd be more than happy. "'The sooner we put a stop to this vile
2: business, the better.'
9: "'The uh, difficulty has been to get hold of enough letters to establish any kind of pattern.' Either people put them on the fire, or they won't admit having received anything of the kind.
4: You can hardly blame them for that, Superintendent.
9: Oh, I'm not blaming them, Doctor. It's just that it doesn't make my job any easier. Even so, we've managed to assemble quite a representative selection. We've got one to Mr. Symington, received as far back as two months ago.
7: Making the most disgusting allegations about me and my Lady clerk, Miss Ginch. And she herself received a letter at the same time. The poor woman felt she had no alternative but to leave the firm at
9: once. A most unsavory business. Mm, Quite so. We also have a letter written to Dr Griffith, one to Mrs Mudge, the butcher's wife, one to Jennifer Clark, the barmaid at the Rosencrown, and and the one received by Mrs Simington that was referred to at the inquest and this most recent one to Miss Barton, which shows that our writer has no intention of giving up this filthy business.
7: And have you come to any positive opinion
9: as to the writer? There are certain characteristics shared by all these letters, which I will enumerate to you in case they suggest anything to your minds. The actual text is composed of words made up from individual letters cut out of the pages of a book, printed, according to the opinion of an expert we consulted, about the year 1830. Any sign of fingerprints? Apart from those of the recipients and of the postal authorities, nothing. The person who put the letters together was careful to wear gloves. The envelopes were all typed on a Windsor 7 machine, well worn, with the A and the T out of alignment. Most of them were posted in and around Limstock or put in the letter boxes by hand.
7: So they are all of local provenance?
9: Yes, Mr. Symington. In my opinion, they were written by a woman, probably of middle age or over, and probably, though not certainly, unmarried.
4: But surely the typewriter is your best bet. That oughtn't to be too difficult to trace in a place like this.
9: Unfortunately, Doctor, the typewriter is all too readily identifiable. It's in the Women's Institute and was given to them by Mr. Symington's office.
7: It was well past its prime, I'm afraid. But we thought the ladies uh, might find it useful.
9: Being where it is, of course, it's fairly easy of access. Most of the women in Limstock drop into the Institute at some time or other.
4: But can't you tell something from the... um touch or whatever they call it?
9: In normal circumstances, we might be able to do that, but all these envelopes were typed by somebody using only one finger. Or so the experts tell us.
4: Evidently someone who's never used one before.
9: I suspect it's more likely to be someone who knows how to type, but doesn't want to broadcast the fact. These letters have been written by an educated woman. (sighs) The content may be pretty nasty, but mm, whoever's writing them knows how to put words together very effectively. But that
7: narrows it down to about a dozen people in the whole of Limstock. That's right. I can't believe it. You heard what I stated at the inquest, Superintendent Nash. I am certain that the subject matter of the letter my wife received was totally false. My wife was a very sensitive woman, and... um, well, you might even call her prudish in
9: some respect. She would well, never have but a... What you must understand, Mr Symington, is that none of these letters, as far as we know, shows an intimate knowledge of the person concerned. It's just uh, sex and spite... <sighs> And that's going to give us quite a good pointer toward the writer. But the woman must be mad going on with it. Think of the
2: risks she's running, using that typewriter in the Women's Institute. And that letter to Joanna didn't even
9: come through the post. It was dropped in by hand. Mm. It's a vice, you know, Mr Burton. I can't let it alone. And that might be the best thing for us. Remember that the pitcher goes too often to the well. Well.
2: cigarette?
6: No, thank you. I don't think I will. But it's so nice to be treated as if I were a real person.
2: Aren't you a real person, Megan?
6: I do my best. Look, I've darned my stockings. Mm. It's much more uncomfortable than the hole. Does your sister darn well?
2: To tell you the truth, I've no idea.
6: So what does she do when she gets a hole in her stocking?
2: I rather think that she throws them away and buys another pair.
6: She's lucky. I can't do that. My allowance is £40 a year. You can't do much on that.
2: No, I suppose not.
6: If only I wore black stockings, I could ink my legs. That's what I always did at school. (laughs) Miss Batworthy, the mistress who looked after our mending, was like her name. Blind as a bat. (laughs) It was awfully useful.
2: It must have been.
6: It's so wonderful. Just to be able to talk like this. I've never really had the chance before. The Poor Mummy wished I weren't there most of the time. I reminded her of my father. ...who treated her very badly and was pretty dreadful, from what I've heard. All she really wanted was for there to be just herself and my stepfather and the boys. And now she's dead. I can't believe it, really. And I certainly can't believe that she killed herself just because of some stupid letter that she must have known wasn't true. What could have possessed her? It simply doesn't make any kind of sense. Late down to
3: breakfast this
2: morning. Nine thirty. It may be late by Limstock standards, but in London, my eyes would still be tight shut, and I should be sleeping the sleep of the righteous.
3: Amy Griffith is here.
2: Oh, at this hour! What the devil's she after?
3: She said she wanted to have a word with Megan. He went off to the orchard about five minutes ago. I
2: wish he'd have the good sense to let her alone. I'd better go off and rescue the poor girl.
3: I'll get it. Fine. <laughs>
2: Limstock 231. Yes, that's right. Miss Partridge, certainly. Uh, Who who shall I say? Agnes Watt. Hang on, I'll get her. Partridge! Who is it? Oh, some girl called Agnes Waddle.
3: I think it should be Waddell. She's a maid at the Symingtons.
2: Yes, sir. What is it? There's a telephone call for you. For me, sir? Yes, for you, Partridge. Agnes Waddell. Agnes?
0: Whatever can she
2: want?
8: Ah, there you are, Mr Burton. Up at last. You're out and out very early, Miss Griffith. I've been up for hours. You have a better chance of catching people at this time of day. You managed to catch Megan, I gather. Yes, we had our little chat. She's gone back to her room, I think. And now I really must be going. I've got to get over to the Institute to organise the Red Cross stand and then drive off to
3: Brenton for the girl guides. What a
2: busy life you do lead, to be sure, Miss Griffith. Goodbye.
3: Goodbye, Miss Griffith. Goodbye, Miss Burton. I wonder what it would feel like to be Amy Griffith, bursting with health and vigour and enjoyment of life. Do you think she's ever tired, or depressed, or wistful?
2: Wistful? <laughs> I shouldn't think she's ever had a moment of wistfulness in her life. Ah, oh, but here comes Partridge, I'm looking very put out.
3: Can
5: I speak to you a minute, Miss? Yes, of course. What's the matter? Yeah. I must apologise for being rung up on the telephone. Young Agnes should have known better. I have never been in the habit of using the telephone or permitting my friends to ring me up on it, and I'm very sorry that it should have occurred. Why shouldn't your friends ring you up if they want to talk to you? It's not the kind of thing that has ever been done at Little Furs. This Agnes who rung me up, she used to be in service under me. Sixteen she was then and come straight from the orphanage... And you see, Miss, not having a home or a mother or any relations to advise her, she's been in the habit of coming to me. Yes, I understand. So, I'm taking the liberty of asking you if you would allow Agnes to come here to tea this afternoon in the kitchen. It's her day out, you see, and she's got something on her mind she wants to consult me about. It's probably only something to do with that young man of hers, but she did sound very agitated. I wouldn't dream of suggesting such a thing in the normal way. But why shouldn't you have someone to tea with you? It has never been the custom of this house. Miss Barton never allowed visitors in the kitchen, except as it should be our own day out, but otherwise on ordinary days. No. Thank you, Miss.
0: Mr Burton? Mr Burton?
2: Mm. it's no good my girl your sympathy and leniency are not appreciated
0: Mm.
2: the good old overbearing ways for partridge and things done the way they should be in a gentleman's house
3: can't imagine why she doesn't like me most people do
2: she doesn't think you're up to much as a housekeeper (laughs) you you never draw your hand across a shelf and examine it for traces of dust you don't look under the mats you don't ask what happened to the remains of the chocolate souffle you don't megan's
6: coming something's happened I've decided it's time I went home. What? It's been awfully good of you having me here, and I expect I've been a frightful nuisance, but I have enjoyed it awfully. Only now I must go back, because after all, it is my home, and I can't stay away forever. I've decided to go this morning. I'll just go and get my things together. What on earth
3: was all that about?
2: I suppose she just got fed up with us.
3: I don't think it's that at all. I think it's probably something to do with Amy Griffith.
2: You mean she told Megan that she was needed at home? Oh, why can't the bloody woman leave well alone?
0: You know, Jane, there's something about those letters that's all wrong. Wrong in what way, Maud? Whoever it is that's writing them doesn't know anything about Limstock. None of the real things. You mean that all the allegations are made up? Why, yes. Accusing mm. Caleb of having an affair with the schoolmistress... Or saying that Joanna isn't Mr Burton's sister, what's the point of it? You think there are quite enough real scandals in Limstock? Exactly. There's plenty of adultery here, and everything else. <laughs> Any amount of shameful secrets, it wouldn't be difficult to sniff out. Why didn't the writer use those? And how did she suddenly manage to stumble on the truth? The truth? Well, I've no idea whether the accusation about Mrs Symington was true or not. But if suicide is your idea of escape from trouble, it doesn't matter what the trouble is. Yes, that is much what Miss Barton told me. You mean you've been round to see her? Oh, no. We just happened to get talking in the tea shop. A brainstorm. That's what she said it must have been. Mrs Symington was never a strong woman, she said, and she couldn't have known what she was doing, or she would have thought of Mr Symington and the children. Who does she think is writing these letters? Well, she said that whoever it is must be the instrument of providence to awaken us all to the knowledge of our shortcomings. I would have thought that the Almighty might have chosen a less unsavoury weapon. God moves in a mysterious way. That's her explanation for it all. I think Caleb had better have a word with her. Had she received one of these letters? She looked so horrified when I suggested it that I thought for one moment she was about to be taken ill. I rather think she might have done. And then she recovered and said that they were nasty things that were better ignored. Well, they can hardly be ignored now. But what do you think yourself, Jane? Have you managed to come up with anything yet? Mm, I'm beginning to suspect that nothing is quite what it appears to be. Everyone talks of no smoke without fire. But in this case, I wonder whether what we are confronted with is really a smoke screen. A smoke screen? To conceal what? Murder, Maud. Murder.
3: And how did your little tea party with Miss Waddell go, Partridge? Was it a success? Thank
5: you for asking, Miss. But Agnes never turned up.
3: Oh, I'm sorry.
5: Didn't matter to me wasn't me who thought of asking her. She rings up to say she's got something on her mind and could she come here to talk about it since it's her day off? And after that, not a sound nor sight of her. No word of apology neither, though I hope I'll get a postcard tomorrow morning.
3: Well, she meant if that well. You didn't ring up to find out. No, I did
5: not, miss. If Agnes likes to behave badly, that's her lookout.
3: But I shall give her a piece of my mind when I see her next... I expect she's had a row with her boyfriend. I mean, by now, they're probably locked in one another's arms behind some dark hedge. What's the matter, Jerry?
2: Hmm? No, uh, I'm trying to think of something. Something she said. That's it. About it being Agnes's day off.
3: What about it?
2: It's exactly a week since Mrs Symington's suicide. She was alone in the house that day. Alone in the house because the maids were having their day out?
3: Yes, but what's that got to do with it? Could anything? you ring the bell for Partridge, please? Of course. But what's all this about?
2: Joanna, maids have days out once a week, don't they?
3: And alternate Sundays.
2: Oh, never mind Sundays. Do they go out the same day every week?
3: That's the usual thing. But what's got into you all of a sudden? Yes, sir. What is
2: it? This Agnes Waddell who was supposed to come and see you, she's in service at the Symingtons, isn't she? Yes,
5: sir. Hmm. It's half past ten. Would she be back by now, do you think? Oh, yes, sir. They're very strict there. The maids have to be in by ten. I'm going to telephone.
3: What on earth is all this? What are you trying to prove?
5: I'm just making sure that the
2: girl got home safely.
6: Limstock 409?
2: Uh, good evening, Miss Holland. This is Jerry Burton. I'm sorry to disturb you at this hour, but has your maid Agnes returned?
6: Oh, yes. She's sure to be in by now.
2: Would you mind checking that she's got
5: back, Miss Holland?
6: Yes, of course, if that's what you want. I'll ask Rose. Don't you think you're making
5: the most terrible fuss about nothing? All <sighs> oh, this for a stupid girl who's got no respect for her betters.
0: She's probably gone off to the cinema in Brenton. You know what they'll say, don't you? You've got a crush on this Agnes Waddell. Be all round Limstock by tomorrow.
6: Hello, Mr Burton, are you still there?
2: Yes, I'm still here.
6: As a matter of fact, Agnes
3: isn't in yet. What does she say?
2: Agnes isn't back.
7: Hello, Burton. What's the matter? Something about Agnes, I understand. There hasn't been an accident, has there?
2: Not an accident, no.
7: Do you mean you have reason to suppose something has happened to the girl?
2: I shouldn't be surprised. I only hope that I'm wrong. Mm. Mm. Uh, 7.30. Who on earth can be ringing at this
5: hour?
9: Hello? Jerry,
6: Can you get over here as quick as you can? Uh, <laughs> Please come! Mm. Please
3: come!
2: I, I, I'll, I'll be there straight away.
3: What's
2: going on? I'm going off to the Symingtons.
3: Why? What's happened? I
2: don't know. Megan rang. She, she sounded very frightened.
3: What do you think it is?
2: I have a nasty feeling it's something to do with that girl, Agnes.
6: I found her. Agnes? She was in the cupboard under the stairs where the fishing rods and golf clubs are kept. She was all huddled up and cold, horribly cold, dead.
2: What made you look in there?
6: After you telephoned last night, we all began wondering where Agnes could have got to. We waited up some time, but she didn't come in. And eventually, we all went off to bed. I didn't sleep very well, and I got up early. Rose, The, the cook? Yes. She came into the kitchen and said that Agnes's best things, the ones she wears when she goes out, were still in her room. And I started to wonder if she'd ever left the house after all. So I began looking round and I opened the door of the cupboard under the stairs. And there she was. Hmm.
2: Has somebody rung up the police?
6: My stepfather contacted them straight away.
2: You look just about all in. I'm going to take you into the kitchen and get you a cup of tea and pour a dollop of brandy into it.
3: Oh, Mr Burton, isn't it awful?
6: Whoever can have done such a dreadful thing?
2: It was murder then.
6: Oh, yes. She was hit on the back of the head. It's all blood and hair. Mm. Oh, horrible. And then she was bundled into the cupboard. Poor Agnes. I'm sure she never did anyone any harm.
2: No, no. Somebody made sure of that pretty quickly.
6: Hello, Burton.
7: Looks as if you were right to be worried about Agnes. Not a perfectly ghastly business. Hmm. Miss Holland,
6: Hmm. I think
7: you'd better make sure that the boys remain upstairs. I want them kept right away from this.
6: Oh, of course, Mr. Simington.
9: Ah, Mr. Mr. Burton. I was going to telephone you. I'm glad you're here. Mr. Symington, is there a room I could use where I shan't be in anyone's way? The little sitting room would be best, I think. Mm-hmm. It's through there. I should have some breakfast if I were you, Mr. Simmington. Murder's a nasty affair on an empty stomach. Thank you, Superintendent. I shall take your advice. Could we uh, have a word, Mr. Burton? Of course. I gather you telephoned last night about Agnes Waddell. Why was that? She'd arranged to come and have tea with our housekeeper
2: at Little Furs, and she never turned up. I mm-hmm. uh, had a premonition
9: that something might have gone wrong. So, now it's murder. The question is, what did the girl know? Did she say anything to your housekeeper? Not as far as I know. What happened exactly? Well, it was rose and agnes's day out the symingtons seem to have found it easier for both of them to be off at the same time and there's always miss holland to get the tea rose left to get the two-thirty bus to her aunt in nether mickford and agnes stayed on to finish the washing up well, it's a regular routine between them after rose had gone symington left to go back to his office at five-and-twenty to three Elsie Holland took the boys off to see some friends, and Megan went out for her afternoon bike ride about five minutes later. Leaving Agnes alone in the house? Ah, and she never left it. She was still wearing her cap and apron. Any idea of the time of death? Mm, As usual, Dr Griffith is reluctant to commit himself. Between 2 and 4.30, he says... But we know that already, since Miss Holland was back by then. How was she killed? She was stunned by a blow on the back of the head. And then an ordinary kitchen skewer was thrust into the base of the skull, causing instantaneous death. Pretty cold-blooded. As you say, what did she know? According to Rose, she'd been growing more and more worried ever since Mrs. Symington's death. And she kept saying she didn't know what to do. (laughs) <laughs> it's always the same. They won't come to us. Don't want to get mixed up with the police. If she had, she'd still be alive. Didn't she give Rose any hint of what was worrying her? Hmm? Rose says not, and I'm inclined to believe her. But I think I've an idea what it was. You see, Mr Burton, we know something that you don't. And what was that? Apparently, on the afternoon Mrs Symington committed
2: suicide...
0: When Rose and Agnes were having their day off.
2: Uh, yes, but that's just the point, Miss Marple. Agnes came back to the house. She'd had a row with her boyfriend.
0: Young Rendell from
2: the draper's shop. How did you find that out? <laughs> a- anyway, um, they quarrelled practically as soon as they met. The boy had received one of those letters telling him Agnes had other fish to fry... Agnes was furious that he paid any attention to it and flounced off back home and said she wasn't coming out
0: till he said he was sorry. And while she was looking out of the pantry window, waiting for him to come and apologise, she saw someone drop a letter into the box. How did you work that out? I called at the house two days ago and I just happened to notice that the pantry looks out onto the entrance gate.
2: Well, apparently the letter wasn't delivered by the postman. It had a used stamp stuck on it with a postmark faked in black ink so that it would seem to have come through the post.
0: But Agnes would have seen who delivered it. Then why on earth didn't she tell somebody? (laughs) I think it's possible that she did not at first realise what she had seen. Somebody left the letter at the house, but that somebody was not a person she would dream of connecting with the anonymous letters. Somebody, as far as she was concerned... Absolutely above suspicion. But how on earth did the murderer find out that she knew? Oh, it's very plain that you're not used to life in the country, Mr Burton. Who knew that Cartridge had received the telephone call from Agnes?
2: Well, Joanna knew. And Miss Griffith may have overheard it. She'd come up to have a word with Megan. But... Why should Miss Griffith want to repeat a meaningless piece of information like that?
0: Oh, you'd be amazed at what is news in a place like this. And then, of course, someone at the Symingtons may have overheard Agnes making the call. Elsie Holland? Or Rose, perhaps?
2: So, yesterday afternoon, as soon as the coast is clear, the murderer walks up to the front door and rings the bell.
0: But why should Agnes let her in if she suspected she was the poison pen writer? Because whoever the caller was, it was somebody highly respected in Limstock. And remember that Agnes could not be certain. She was a slow-witted girl, and only vaguely suspicious that something was wrong. And she turns round
2: to get a salver for cards or something like that, And our ladylike caller bats her
0: on the back of her unsuspecting head. Yes, that would be perfectly possible. I've noticed that most of the ladies in Limstock carry a particularly large size in handbags.
2: The only thing that doesn't quite fit is that stabbing Agnes in the back of the neck and bundling her into that cupboard might be rather a hefty job for a woman.
0: You'd be surprised how strong women really are, Mr Burton. And I gather that Agnes wasn't a very big girl... But this really isn't the point, you know. It's what happened on the afternoon of Mrs Symington's death that matters now. Your friend superintendent, Nash, needs to direct his attention to finding out precisely what everyone was doing.
9: You were out of the house for practically the whole time, I understand, Miss Holland?
6: Yes. I was taking the boys out for their afternoon walk. I was late back because as I turned in at the gate... I saw Mr. Symington at the other end of the road returning from the office. It was ten minutes to five, and I hadn't even put the kettle on for tea.
9: You didn't go up to see Mrs.
6: Symington? Oh, no. I never did that. She always rested in the afternoons. She was subject to attacks of neuralgia, which generally came on after meals. Dr. Griffith had given her some sachets to take. She used to lie down and try to sleep. So, uh, no one would take up the afternoon post? Oh, no. I would never have dreamt of such a thing. Mr. Symington came in and called out, Mona, Mona, as he usually did. And when she didn't answer, he went up to her room.
1: Mm-hmm.
6: Oh, it must have come as a terrible shock to him. And she'd really been quite happy and
0: cheerful at lunch.
9: What's your opinion now of the letter she received? Do you think there was any truth in the accusation?
6: No, I certainly don't. Mrs. Symington was very, well particular, anything of that sort. Nasty carryings on. She thought very distasteful. Have
9: you had any of these letters yourself?
6: No. No, I haven't.
9: Are you sure? Sometimes people don't like to admit that they've had them, but we're well aware that they're just a tissue of lies, so you needn't feel embarrassed.
6: No, I haven't, Superintendent. Really, I haven't. Nothing of the kind.
2: You don't think you ought to come back to us for a while?
6: It's nice of you, Jerry. But I think I'd better stay here. I dare say I can help with the boys a bit.
2: Well, it's as you like.
6: Then I think I'll stay. Though... Yes? If anything awful happened, I could always telephone you again, couldn't I? Of
2: course. But what awful thing do you think
6: might happen? I don't know. But things seem rather like that just now, don't they?
2: For God's sake, don't go nosing out any more dead bodies. It's not good for
6: you. No, it isn't. It left me feeling awfully sick.
0: It took no time at all for the news of Agnes Weddell's murder to spread all around Limstock. Everywhere along the high street, little groups had gathered, relishing the sensation and eager to find out more. It's the first murder we've ever had in Limstock. The excitement
8: is terrific. I hear you were there just after it happened.
2: Yes, I was. I was a bit uneasy about the poor girl. And you
8: feared the worst. I hear it was Megan who found the body. It must have given her quite a shock.
2: Yes, it did. Tell me, Miss Griffith... Was it you who persuaded Megan to return home?
8: It's no good that young woman's shirking her responsibility. She doesn't know how tongues wag, so I felt it my duty to give her a hint. Give her a hint about what? Oh, I dare say you don't hear all the gossip that goes around. Mind you, I don't think for a minute there's anything in it. The girl could hardly go off at a moment's notice and leave the children with no one to look after them. But there it is. It's an invidious position, and people will chatter. Are you talking about Elsie Holland? Of course I am. They're saying... She's already considering the possibility of becoming Mrs. Symington number two. That she's all out to console the widower and make herself irreplaceable. But good God, Mrs. Symington's only been dead a week. Of course, poor Dick Symington hasn't the least idea of any of this. He's still completely devastated by poor Mona's death. But you know what men are. If the girl is always there, making him comfortable, looking after him, well... He gets to be dependent on her.
2: So you told Megan she ought to go home so that Mr. Simmington and Miss Holland wouldn't be left alone together in the house. You're
8: shocked, Mr. Burton, at hearing what our little town is thinking. I can tell you this. They always think the worst.
2: A nasty tramp or a lunatic seems to be the general verdict, although Miss Barton does think there might possibly be some connection with the anonymous letters. What you got there?
3: photograph of your plane crash. I found it lying around with some papers I was trying to clear up. You don't really want to keep it, do you?
2: Yes, I do rather. I can't tell you why, but I want to keep it.
3: It's got a bit curly at the edges. You need something to flatten it out.
2: There's some pretty hefty-looking books in the bookcase.
3: Ah.
2: One of them ought to do the trick. Ah. ah, here we are. Crindle's Sermons. Good Lord. What is it? Just
3: look at this. Someone's cut a whole lot of pages out of the middle.
9: This is the book our poison pen friend used. No doubt about it. It matches the print on the letters exactly. Where did you find it? In the drawing room at Little Fur's. Mm -hmm. So, who could have cut these pages out? Well, I suppose
2: the obvious person is Emily Barton. It's her house, after all. Or it might possibly have been Partridge. Oh, I don't see her writing those letters. But it could have been almost anybody. The door's never locked if there's someone around the house. Well, I'll have the book checked for
9: fingerprints, but I doubt whether we'll find anything.
2: I imagine all you'll find will be mine and Partridge's. She's very particular about the dusting.
9: Are you making any progress? We're steadily narrowing it down. We've eliminated the people it couldn't be. You're all right, so's your sister... And Mr. Symington didn't leave the office once he'd got back, and Dr. Griffith was with a patient. So who remains? Well, there's Miss Ginch. Ah, the uh, woman who used to work with Symington, mm-hmm. who the poison pen writer said he was having an affair with? Well, she was out of the office at the time when the letter was presumably dropped into the Symington's box, mm. and she has no alibi for the afternoon of the murder. And then there's Emily Barton. Oh, she's much too old and frail, surely. And Amy Griffith was supposed to be in Brenton for a meeting of the Girl Guides at the time Agnes was killed. But she was over an hour late. Did you learn any more from taking a closer look at the typewriter? Mm, Nothing. We've returned it to the Women's Institute. Isn't that rather asking for trouble? Oh, that's exactly what we're after. You see... I'm banking on the fact that this woman can't stop writing these letters. She may know it's dangerous, but the compulsion is too strong for her. Surely you don't think she'd be crazy enough to use that particular machine again? Well, apart from you, Dr Griffith, and Mr Symington, nobody in Limstock knows we've traced the envelopes to that typewriter. I reckon that whoever it is will go along to the Women's Institute after dark one night and try again. Like a craving for drink or drugs. And when she does, Mr. Burton, we'll be there, waiting for her. The great
0: drawback about setting traps is that you can never be certain who is going to walk into them. Just like little you know, Mar- Miss Marple, I'm even starting to have
2: dreams about it now. The same old faces Miss Ginch, Miss Griffith, Miss Barton, Partridge. Somebody keeps whispering, no smoke without fire. And Elsie Holland is getting married to Dr Griffith. Uh, and there was something about a message on a piece of paper. But that was because the last thing I'd noticed before going to bed was a note from Joanna.
0: Would you consider me very inquisitive if I asked
2: what the message was? Oh, it wasn't anything of importance. Something about, if Dr Griffith rings up, tell him I can't go on Tuesday but could manage Wednesday.
0: Oh, yes, something quite ordinary... But tell me, have you found out whether there is anyone in Limstock who has not received a letter? Miss
2: Barton said she hadn't, but the superintendent got talking to the woman she's staying with. Her former parlour maid, I believe. And she said that Miss Barton had certainly received one, accusing her of poisoning her sister.
0: Mm. Anybody else? Yes. Elsie Holland. That is most unusual. One would have thought anyone so young and pretty. one well,
2: couldn't agree more. But she swears she hasn't, and I must say, I believe her. So does Superintendent Nash.
0: That really is most interesting. I think it is probably the most interesting thing that I've heard yet.
6: Cherry, is that you?
2: Megan, where did you spring from?
6: I thought I recognised your car. Have you been having a chat with the vicar?
2: No, I came to see Miss Marple.
6: She's full of surprises. At first I thought she was only interested in knitting patterns. Now I'm not so sure.
2: She's a very wily old bird. She likes me to keep her up to date with any news about the murder. But you haven't told me what you're up to. This is no time for a girl to be wandering about on her own.
6: Oh, you don't have to worry about me. I like walking at night. Nobody stops you and says silly things. I like the stars and the silence. And the world smells better. And everyday things suddenly become very mysterious.
3: All
2: the same, only cats and witches walk in the dark. They'll be wondering where you are at home. Oh, no,
6: they won't. They never worry where I am or what I'm doing.
2: Doesn't Miss Holland look after you and all that?
6: She does her best. I suppose she can't help being a perfect fool.
2: Well, if nobody cares what you're doing, why can't you...
6: Uh, no, Jerry. it's very sweet of you, but it wouldn't be right. Not just now. Don't get me wrong. I was very happy at Little Furs. But I just feel it's my duty to be at home.
2: As you wish. But let me give you a lift back, at
6: least. No. Thanks all the same, but I don't want to go back just yet. I want to be by myself for a little while longer. I shan't come to any harm.
2: One.
9: We've got her, Mr Burton.
2: You mean that you've...
9: Can you be overheard where you are?
2: Uh, I can't be sure.
9: Uh, perhaps it would be better if you were to come down to the station. I'll be there straight away. That's the letter. She finally got round to Elsie Holland. Hmm. It's no use thinking you're going to step into a
2: dead woman's shoes. The whole town is laughing at you. Get out now this is a warning. Remember what happened to the other girl. Get out and stay out, you silly little bitch. But
9: this one's typewritten. Yes, and we saw her typing it. Well, I'm sorry about it because it will hit a decent man hard, but there it is. Perhaps he's had his suspicions anyway. Who wrote it then? Miss Amy Griffith
3: never
8: heard such nonsense, as though I'd write rubbish like that. You must be
9: mad. Do you deny having written this, Miss Griffith? Of course I deny it. Well, I must tell you, Miss Griffith, that you were observed to type this letter on the machine at the Women's Institute between 11 and 11.30, the night before last. Don't be so ridiculous. What's going on? Is it true what they're saying? Mr. Symington, I'd be greatly obliged
7: if you'd... me, my dear... If there is anything wrong, you ought to be legally represented. Oh, go away, Dick. Just go away. I don't want you to hear about this. Amy, I simply want no, to help.
4: No, Dick,
8: please. For God's sake, don't look at me. I can't bear it.
3: Of course, they're all saying they thought it was her from the start. Emily Barton is telling everyone that she never really trusted Miss Griffith. The grocer's wife says that she always thought Amy had a queer look in her eye.
2: How's Dr Griffith taking it?
3: Oh, he's completely broken up. He just can't believe it. And to make matters worse, they've discovered that there's a
0: heavy pestle missing from his surgery. It can't be true, Mr Burton. I simply can't believe it.
2: It's true enough, I'm afraid. The police actually saw her typing the letter. Oh,
6: yes,
0: they may well have done, but
2: that And does... they found the printed pages that the poison pen writer had used, the ones that were torn out of the book at Little Furs, concealed under the stairs at her home. And there's a large, heavy pestle missing from her brother's dispensary.
0: Oh, but... That is horrible. Really wicked. Jane, what's the matter? What is it? There must be something one can do to put an end to this business once and for all. But I'm so old and helpless. Jane, don't you think you'd better let... That the... girl, Megan Hunter, would you say that she had courage, Mr Burton?
2: Courage? Yes. Yes.
0: I'm sure of it. Then I must go and talk to her. And please, Mr Burton, however much you may care for the girl, don't attempt to interfere. But what is it you're proposing to do, Jane? To lure the murderer out from behind the smoke screen.
6: Oh, I'm sure the boys are both quite old enough. Old enough? To go off to boarding school, Mr Symington. Not that I shan't miss them both very much.
7: I think you're probably quite right as far as Brian is concerned. I've decided that he shall start next term at Winhays. Uh, My old prep school. But as for Colin, I really think that... I would like to speak to you, please. Alone. Really, Megan? Is this necessary? We're having an important discussion.
6: Yes. It's very necessary. Very well. Uh, Do you mind, Miss Holland? Uh, No, of course not. We can talk about it later.
7: Well, Megan, what is it? What do you want that's so important? I want money. Couldn't you have waited until tomorrow morning? What's the matter? Do you consider your allowance inadequate?
6: It's nothing to do with my allowance. I want a great deal of money.
7: You'll come of age in a few weeks' time. Then the money left by your grandmother will be turned over to you by the trustees.
6: You don't understand. I want money from you. From me? Nobody's ever talked to me much about my father. They didn't want me to find out about him. But I do know that he went to prison, and I also know why. It was for blackmail.
7: What exactly are you getting at, Megan?
6: Perhaps I'm beginning to take after him. I'm asking you for money, because if you don't, I shall tell the police what I saw you putting into one of Mother's sachets while she was sleeping.
7: I haven't the faintest idea what you're talking about. I think you have. Go on. Write me a cheque. Very well, Megan. I can see that now you're grown up, you need to buy something rather special in the way of clothes and all that. I can't pretend to understand what it is that you're trying to say, but I'll write you your cheque. And I'll make it quite a generous one.
2: I knew you'd have to butt in, Burton. But the girl's in deadly danger. I couldn't hear what they were saying, but one look at Symington's face after Megan had left the room was enough to convince me. We've got to get her
9: out of that house straight away. We're going to do no such thing. It's all under control, trust me. We've got two men inside the house standing by. She'll be perfectly safe. Now, if you promise to keep your mouth shut, you can come with me. We'll go in by the side door and take up a position on the second floor landing. And then what do we do? We wait. In silence, Mr. Burton. Two o'clock. How much longer are we going to have to wait? Symington put a soporific in the glass of milk she took before going to bed. He's got to give time for it to take effect. How can you be sure he hasn't poisoned her? He dare not risk that. Whatever he has in mind has got to appear natural. But what if he's... Shh. He's going to Megan's room. about what he has in mind he's gonna carry her down to the kitchen we'll follow him but not a sound mind
7: should put an end to your attempt to follow in your father's footsteps.
9: I think you'd better turn the gas off, Mr. Symington. Huh? I'll do it. <clears throat> Richard Symington, I arrest you for the murder of Mona Symington and of Agnes Waddell. And I warn you that anything you say may be used in evidence against you.
0: Of course, the great thing in cases like these is to keep an open mind. Most crimes, you see, are so absurdly simple. This one was. It was that tiresome phrase you quoted, Mr Burton, that gave me the first indication of what was really going on. No smoke without fire. For once, it wasn't true. There was smoke everywhere. Everybody looking at the wrong thing. But there was no fire, for there weren't really any poison pen letters. But I had one, so did Jerry. Oh, yes, but they weren't real at all. Dear Maud tumbled to that. When I couldn't understand why the writer of the letters hadn't used any of the real scandals. Any woman living in the place would have known about them and used them. But a man, you see, isn't interested in gossip in the same way especially a detached, logical man like Mr. Symington. Yes. A woman would have made a much better job of it. So you see that if you disregard the smoke screen, you come down to the actual facts of what happened. And if you put aside the letters, there was only one thing. My mother died. So then, naturally, one thinks of who might have wanted Mrs. Symington to die. And, of course, the very first person one thinks of in such a case is, I'm afraid to say, the husband. And one asks oneself, is there any reason, any motive? For instance, another woman. And the first thing I hear is that there is a very attractive young governess in the house. So simple, isn't it? Mr Symington, a rather dry, repressed, unemotional man, tied to a... forgive me, my dear, rather neurotic wife. And then
6: suddenly this radiant young creature comes along... But there was never any question of anything between my stepfather and Elsie Holland. I'm sure I'd have noticed it. Oh, it was all perfectly
0: respectable.
6: She's a very proper girl, and he wanted to marry
0: her. I'm afraid, you know, the gentlemen, when they fall in love at a certain age, get the disease very badly. It's quite a madness, and Mr Symington simply lacked the strength to fight it. He couldn't possibly just run off with the young woman and get a divorce.
6: That way he'd have lost the boys, and he would never have given them up. In fact, he wanted everything, his home,
0: his children, his respectability, and Elsie Holland into the bargain. And the price he had to pay for it was the murder of his wife. He knew very well from his experience of criminal cases how readily suspicion falls on the husband if a wife dies unexpectedly, So he created a death which seemed only incidental to everything else. So he invented a non-existent poison pen writer. And things being what they are, in a place like Limstock, everybody was bound to believe it was a woman. Even the police thought so. And they were quite right in a way, because many of the letters were cribbed from reports of a case last year that Dr Griffith had told him about. And they were written by a woman. Of course he didn't reproduce any of the letters verbatim, but he took phrases and expressions from them so that they definitely represented a woman's mind, a half-crazed, repressed personality. But how did he manage to get into the Women's Institute to type out the envelopes? Surely he was running a tremendous risk. Ah, but you see, he'd been preparing his crime for some time. He typed all the envelopes in advance before he gave away the old typewriter to the Women's Institute. And he probably cut the pages from the Book of Sermons while Emily Barton was still living at Little Fur's. He was always calling round there on legal matters. People don't open books of sermons very often.
3: But just a minute. What about the letter to me? The envelope must have been typed out long after he'd given the typewriter away.
2: Of course. How stupid of me. Superintendent Nash told me that the envelope with your letter had originally had Miss Barton written on it, and the A had been changed to a U.
3: It was just as well it didn't go to Miss Barton. She'd have been very surprised to be addressed as U-painted Trollop. Hmm. <laughs> but what about the
0: actual murder of Mrs Symington, Jane? How did he manage it? He chose an afternoon when the governess and the boys were out. And when I would be off riding my bicycle. And the servants would be having their free afternoon... He could not foresee that Agnes Waddell would have a quarrel with her boyfriend and come back to the house. But what exactly did she see? I don't know. I can only guess. And my guess would be that she didn't see anything. You mean it was all a mare's nest? Oh, no, Maud. I mean that the girl stood at the pantry window all afternoon waiting for her young man to turn up and that, quite literally, she saw nothing. No one came to the house at all, not the postman nor anybody else. Being a rather slow-witted girl, it would take her some time to realise that this was very odd, because she knew that Mrs Symington was supposed to have received an anonymous letter that afternoon. You mean she didn't receive one at all? No, of course not, Mr Burton. It was a very simple crime... Mr Simmington simply put the cyanide in the top sachet of the ones that Mrs Symington usually took in the afternoon for her new router. All Symington had to do was to get back at the same time as Elsie Holland, call up to his wife, get no reply, go upstairs to her room, drop a spot of cyanide in the glass of water she had used to take the sachet, and toss the crumpled up anonymous letter in the grate. But what about the suicide note? That scrap of paper was all wrong and you knew it. People don't leave suicide notes on small, torn scraps of paper. That's why you were so immediately intrigued by the message your sister left, scribbled on the telephone pad.
3: If Dr. Griffith rings up, I can't go on Tuesday.
0: I. Can't go on, of course. Mr Symington came across such a message and saw its possibilities. He tore off the words he wanted for when the time came, a message genuinely in his wife's handwriting. Tell me,
2: Miss Marble, what was so significant about the fact that Elsie Holland never received one of the letters until Amy Griffith sent her one? For a moment, I thought that you suspected her of being the poison pen
0: writer. Oh, dear me, no. The person who writes anonymous letters nearly always sends one to himself. That's part of the excitement, I suppose. But what interested me was that it revealed Mr. Symington's one great weakness. He couldn't bring himself to write a foul letter to the woman he loved. That's where he gave himself away.
6: But why did he have to kill Agnes? Surely that was quite unnecessary.
0: Oh, perhaps it was, but what you don't realise, my dear, not having killed anyone, is that your judgment is distorted afterwards and everything seems exaggerated. No doubt he heard Agnes telephoning to Partridge, saying she was worried about Mrs Symington's death, that there was something she couldn't understand, and he couldn't afford to take chances. But I thought he was supposed to be at his office all afternoon. I should imagine that he killed her before he left. He went into the hall and opened the front door and rang the bell. It would have taken Agnes a moment or two to get from the kitchen. Ample time for him to come back in and hide in the little cloakroom. Agnes went to the front door, and he hit her on the head just as she was opening it. He bundled her under the stairs and hurried away to the office. And if he arrived a little late, no one would have thought anything of it. But what about Amy Griffith? I don't understand where she comes into it at all. The police actually saw her write that letter. Oh, yes. She did write that letter. But why? Because the poor soul had been in love with Mr. Symington all her life. Of course. I see it now. The way she used to look at him sometimes. I gather they'd always been great friends, and I dare say she thought after Mrs. Symington's death that some day perhaps they might. And then she began to hear all the gossip about Elsie Holland, and I expect that upset her very badly. And so I think she succumbed to temptation. Why not add one more anonymous letter and frighten the girl out of the place?
3: And do you think that when Elsie showed the letter to Mr
0: Symington, he realised who had written it? I'm sure he did, and he saw an opportunity to end the whole business once and for all. When he took the letter down to the police and found that they'd actually seen Amy writing it, he knew that he had a chance of finishing off the whole thing. You mean hiding the torn-out pages from the book under the stairs? Yes, and it was quite a clever place to put them. Everyone would link it to the disposal of Agnes's body, and when he called at the Griffith House, the police were far too preoccupied with Amy to notice him planting the evidence. All the same, there's one thing I can't
2: forgive you for, Miss Marple roping in Megan like that.
6: Oh, come off it, Jerry! It was really quite exciting.
2: It was very dangerous. You might have been killed.
6: Yes, Mr Burton.
0: But we are not put into this world to avoid danger when the lives of innocent fellow creatures are at stake. I needed someone of high courage and good brains. And I found her.
2: Megan! Where are you off to?
6: Nowhere, really. Just going for a walk.
2: To anywhere in particular?
6: No, just a walk. Then hop in. Right you are. Where are you going?
2: To the station. I'm going to London. And you're coming with me.
6: You're very sudden, aren't you?
2: It runs in the family. The Burtons have been renowned for their suddenness for centuries.
6: So what are we going to do when we get to London?
2: I'm going to show you what you could look like if you tried.
6: Why? What's wrong with me? Everything. Just
2: look at your stockings.
6: What about them? They're
2: loathsome. And look at your pullover. It's like a decayed cabin.
6: There's nothing wrong with it. I've had it for ages.
2: So I should imagine. I'll tell you exactly what we're going to do. First of all, I'm going to take you to Mirror Town. Joanna's dressmakers. I think I'd better tell her you're my cousin. Why? Because otherwise she'll get much too curious. I shall instruct her to turn you out perfectly from head to foot. Dress, stockings, shoes, everything. And then? Yes? Well, then you're going to go to Joanna's hairdresser. I'll bet you've been wearing your hair like that since your first day at school. (laughs) And then when all that's been accomplished, I shall come and collect you.
6: So, what do you think?
2: Uh, I would never have recognised you.
6: (laughs) I do look rather nice, don't I?
2: Nice? You look quite fantastic. (laughs) You... you just take my breath away.
6: I'm glad about that. So what are we going to do now?
2: We're going out to dinner. And if every man in the room doesn't turn around to look at you, I'll eat my hat.
6: But you don't have a hat. Don't be difficult. Oh, it's all simply marvellous mm. I just can't believe it I've never enjoyed myself so much in all my life I've never tasted food like this I've certainly never drunk such wonderful wine
2: Are you sure you're feeling all right?
6: I'm perfectly sober, if that's what you mean, Jerry. Oh, let's dance <laughs> Oh, I'm sorry, I quite forgot Don't idea.
2: worry yourself I'm sure I'll be able to shuffle around somehow <laughs> Let's try, at any rate.
6: Oh, you're doing marvellously.
2: And you're a simply fabulous dancer.
6: So I should be. We had dancing classes every week at school.
2: It takes more than dancing classes to make a (laughs) dancer. Good Lord.
6: What is it? What's the matter?
2: I've just noticed the time.
0: Jane! Jane! Have you heard the news about Jerry Burton and Meghan? No, Maud, but I know you're dying to tell me. He took her up to London yesterday, and they missed the last train, and didn't get back till the small hours of the morning... All Limstock is talking about it. I can't help feeling that Limstock must be desperate for topics of conversation. And he's bought her new clothes and shoes and everything. And she's had a new hairdo, which makes her look quite grown up. A good thing, too, in my opinion. And I suppose that all the gossips are saying that he'll have to marry her to make an honest woman of her. Yes, Jane, that is exactly what they are saying. I fancy that is precisely what Mr Burton has in mind. I've been worried about that girl for a long time, but now I can forget all about her. She'll be very safe with Mr. Burton. And I can go back to St. Mary Mead and find out what's been going on there while I've been away. There's something very reassuring about the gossip of one's own village. It always makes me feel at home. <laughs>
1: In Agatha Christie's The Moving Finger, Miss Marple was played by June Whitfield. Jerry Burton, Nicholas Bolton. Joanna Burton, Claire Corbett. Mrs. Dane Calthrop, Patricia Scott. Megan Hunter, Annabelle Dowler. Richard Symington, Hugh Dixon. Elsie Holland, Jenny Funnell. Amy Griffith, Elizabeth Bell. Dr. Owen Griffith, Roger May. Miss Partridge, Catherine Parr. Superintendent Nash, Sean Probert The Moving Finger was dramatised for radio by Michael Bakewell and directed by Enid Williams